Well, good morning. Good morning to all of you here in the modern service. Good morning uh, to those of you over in the contemporary service. If you are a guest here, a very special welcome to you. We, um, if you're a first-time guest, we worship in two rooms uh, at the same hour, at the 1030 hour. So we have the privilege of preaching here in this room, but we also have the privilege of preaching uh, to folks over in the worship center. So uh, thank you for being here. A very, very special welcome to you today. We are in Acts chapter 11. You go ahead and turn there. You can turn on your digital device or you can find the Bible in the pew rack right in front of you in the other room or in this room. If you need a hard copy of a Bible, just raise your hand. Our deacons are looking for you. And if you need one of uh, a copy of the scriptures, raise your hand really high and we'll get one for you. But Acts chapter 11, if you're new to Bible study, Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, and Acts. And I've seen that video that we just watched there to introduce our time three times. And every time that I listen to it, there's a phrase that stands out. And even yesterday, again, I hit pause uh, as I was, I was listening to it, and I said, that's it. That's it. Here's what she said, that something isn't completely powerful unless it leaves ripples in its wake. And this is what we want to talk about this morning is, is the power of the, of the church. And really the power that's in each individual because of the Holy Spirit. This is the person from which the power comes from. And the reason that we talk about power for our lives and the reason that we talk about power in the church, the reason that we talk about leaving ripple effects throughout eternity is because this is what God has called us to do as followers of Jesus. God has called us to be transforming agents in the lives of people around us. And this is exactly what the church at Antioch was. They were a transforming church there in the city of Antioch. They were a transforming church throughout the empire. And why was that? It was because they had a power that many churches don't have. Really, in the, in the, in the New Testament, the, the church at Acts, the churches that we see in Acts, the first church in Jerusalem, incredibly powerful church, supernatural things going on there. The church at Antioch, we'll see powerful things that are taking place there. Throughout the scriptures, we see at Ephesus or Rome or Colossae or Philippi or wherever the, the gospel is planted, we see power break out because of the power of the gospel and the power of this person called the Holy Spirit who breathes life into that gospel. And supernatural things happen. Things that only can be explained by a supernatural God. So here's my question for us. Do we at Taylor's, do we have that supernatural power flowing through us as a church? Do you have that supernatural power flowing through you as a follower of Jesus? Because if you are a follower of Jesus, here's the reality is that the Holy Spirit has been given to you as a gift. Do you realize that? If you are a follower of Christ, if you have given your life to him, if you've turned from your sin and you've turned to follow Christ as best you know how, when that happens, when we look at Christ on the cross and his good news, the gospel, that he died for us, we give our life to him. We are not only forgiven, but we've been given this incredible gift called the person of the Holy Spirit. It is the presence of God himself. It's amazing to think about. And throughout the book of Acts, we see the presence of God in the form of the Holy Spirit working through people to transform communities, to transform 
the church and to have an internal impact. And it still happens today. I was reading a book several months ago called The Insanity of God by Nick Ripkin. Maybe some of you have read this book. It's a story about a guy in Somalia who um, gave his life to feeding and to helping people with the humanitarian crisis there in Africa. But he really became discouraged because here was his question. Can Christ be seen in a dark, dark world? Because he was in a dark, dark place. Can the power of God and the power of the gospel and the power of the Holy Spirit, is it alive and well today? And he became discouraged and he left his position there and he started traveling all across the world. He traveled to many, many countries and he went to very, very difficult countries like China and Russia where believers are oppressed and believers are persecuted, believers are imprisoned, they're beaten for their faith. They would meet in house churches. They didn't have large buildings like we do. And he would come to them and he would learn from them and he would listen to them. And his question was, can the power of the Holy Spirit and the power of the gospel break through in a dark, dark place? And he found out the answer was a resounding yes because the Holy Spirit was working in this people. And, and as he began to um, uh, interview Christian leaders and pastors and men and women who were experiencing God working in them, he formulated a set of questions and he would come to the new group of people and he would ask them these questions. And it's something in the margins of, of, of the book as I was reading. And I said, this is an unbelievable question for us in the church. And it is this, you ready? Here it is. Rick Pim would ask them, and I'll, I'll ask you and I'll ask me, if I were to visit your home communities and talk with unbelieving family members and friends and neighbors of you who claim to be followers of Jesus. So in other words, if I were to come to your neighborhood today and walk around the neighborhood and, and start knocking on, on the doors of your neighborhood and ask people um, a question, if you were to come to my cul-de-sac today, and uh, you were to go around the cul-de-sac and come through our neighborhood, and, and you were to knock on the doors of my neighbors, and um, you were to ask them a question. Or, or if I were to walk through your office tomorrow, and I, I were to um, get with your colleagues over lunch, and, and I would ask them a question. Or I'd get with those moms that you huddle up with um, there in the neighborhood in the subdivision that you do mo Mother's Morning out with. If I, were, if I were to get together with them, and Ripken says, if I were to ask him a set of questions, he here's the questions. If we were to ask people these questions, here it is. I would point out to the, to the, to the church member. You would, you would point to my house, say, here's Paul and Cherie. And you would ask this, who are they? And what can you tell me about? What would they say? And when he asked this question to all these people in these other countries, you know what their response was? Kind of smiled. And they said that things happen to us and through us that can only be explained by the activity of a supernatural God. There are miraculous answers to prayer. There are people being healed. Um... I don't know if my neighbors would say that about me. I, I, I'm not sure what they would say. I, I think they would say they're awfully nice people. I think they would say they bring us meals on occasion. But I don't know if my neighbor would look at me and say, 
I see the supernatural activity of God flowing through that house. I don't know what it is, and I don't know what it looks like, but there's something happening. Let me ask you another question. What would the people around Taylor's say about us? I'm sure they say all kinds of things about Taylor's First Baptist Church, but would they say that that church, the supernatural activity of God is flowing through that place? Lives are being changed. Homes are being healed. Marriages that are falling apart are being reconciled. Addicts are coming to faith in Jesus. People are being baptized. They're reaching this community. I see them walking through this community, doing amazing things in the name of Jesus. You see, what's at stake throughout this whole series is not just a set of six wonderful weeks together. What's at stake in this series is whether we're going to be a transformational people. And you're going to be transformational in your homes and in your, in your neighborhoods and in, and in your schools. What, what's at stake is not just whether we come together for six weeks and we gain more knowledge. What's at stake is that that knowledge is applied and it works itself out. And the only thing that will accomplish anything of eternal value or will cause ripples for eternity in my neighborhood and in my cul-de-sac and in your workplace and in this community and around the world, the only way Taylor's becomes a supernatural church is that the supernatural power of the Holy Spirit falls upon members of this church, beginning with me and beginning with you, and we begin to live with reckless abandon to the power of the Holy Spirit, and we quit playing church. We just quit playing church. Because Antioch didn't play church. They didn't know what church was. They didn't have a model for church. Jeff Orge, who wrote this series on Antioch, He's the president of Golden Gate Seminary, which is out in San Francisco. And he was so gracious with his, um, with his time. I got on the phone with him. He was so gracious with his notes that he had given to me. And he, he sends me um, a whole bunch of things. And, and I found in one of the things that he had written an introduction to um, him preaching or teaching somewhere. I forget where it is. But I found the introduction. And I said, this is not uh, a guy shooting at Southern Baptist from, from the corners. This is a guy who leads a Southern Baptist seminary who knows all the people there, all the higher-ups of the Southern Baptist Convention. He's the one who, who knows the ins and the outs. He, he, he is the one who really represents Southern Baptist to so many, many people. But I, I want to read to you what he said because it really hits home because we are a Southern Baptist church. And listen, listen, we love our denomination. We love participating in our denomination. But I want, you to, I want you to hear carefully what, what Jeff Orge, the president of Golden Gate Seminary, said. He said, Southern Baptists have never had more money, personnel, curriculum, training, materials, colleges, seminaries, books, and conferences. <laughs> and all God's people said, amen. We're really, really good at that. All right, I went to the best seminary, Southeastern Baptist Theological Seminary in Wake Forest, North Carolina. There's six of them. I go to Lifeway. I get my books and my resources from Lifeway. I love that. I go to conferences for the ERLC. I love the International Mission Board. I love the North American Mission Board. I'm more excited about our mission agencies than ever before. We need to give more money. Missionaries are coming home. Do you realize that? Because we don't give enough. 
But what he's saying is never in the history of American life and never in the history of our convention has more money, resources, curriculum, training, books, seminaries, colleges, people, titles been available to Southern Baptists. And then he says this, all right? This is him, not me. Yet our influence, both in evangelistic success and permeation of our culture is waning. In other words, people aren't coming to faith in Christ and our transformation in the lives of of people around us and in our community and in our culture, that influence is, is waning. It's becoming more and more quiet. It's more and more kind of slipping away. Despite all that. He says something seems wrong about us. And he says we're desperate to fix it. Our solutions are usually to reform denominational organization. In other words, to, to, to reform our, our agency, to restructure and to be more efficient. And that's not a bad thing. Or to purify our doctrine. And we should have biblical sound doctrine and those choices are helpful but my concern is we are putting far too much emphasis on our ingenuity and on our intelligence and not enough on God's initiative and on the power of God in other words we have everything we need why aren't we having impact it's because we're we're not experiencing I believe the power of the gospel that saved us we're not experiencing that same power in our everyday lives and and it's easy for us to come in and to come out and to play church and the holy spirit makes all the difference the holy spirit will make all the difference here's what jesus said about the holy spirit now for some of you, you you're totally unfamiliar with who the holy spirit is this is a hard message to preach for some of you because we're delving not just into Jesus. We're, we're not just talking about God the Father. We're talking about the third person of the Trinity here. And here's what Jesus said in John chapter 16. He lays it out for his guys because he's about to go. He's about to go to the cross. He's about to go to heaven. And he says, listen, it's important for you to understand that as I go, someone is coming, a person, not a force, not, 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 a, not a ghost, not some, some weird weird, um, magical experience that comes upon you. It is a person. His name is the Holy Spirit. And in John chapter 16, here is what he said. It should be on the screen. I did not say these things to you from the beginning because I was with you. He's talking about, I didn't tell you how you're going to, why you're going to suffer. I didn't go through everything at the beginning because I was here walking with you guys. I was eating with you. I was sharing with you. I was mentoring you. I was discipling you. I was with you and so I didn't have to tell you everything but now I am going to him the father who sent me and none of you ask me where are you going you're quiet you don't know and verse 6 because I've said these things sorrow has filled your heart you're awfully sad because I'm leaving nevertheless I tell you the truth. Now, here, if you're, if you're looking at your scriptures, here's where you want to you put a box around it. Here's where you want to underline it. You want to highlight it in your digital device, whatever you want to do. It is to your advantage that I go away. Let me read that again. It is to your advantage that I go away. It is better for me to leave you. What? Jesus? It's better that you leave? 
For if I do not go away, the helper will not come to you. But if I go, I will send him to you. Here's the reality. Jesus thinks it's better that he leaves planet Earth and sends the Holy Spirit to you than if he were here walking beside you. In fact, it's the name of, it's the name of a great book by J.D. Greer called Jesus Continued. The Spirit that it, why the Spirit that is in you is better than the Jesus beside you. Isn't that a great title? And here's what Jesus is after. That, that the Holy Spirit is God. And here's an amazing truth. You ready? This blows my circuits. I've been in seminary. I've been reading books. I've been teaching. I've been preaching. I've been doing all these things. I've been a pastor for a little bit now, and this absolutely blows my socks. That as a follower of Christ, that when I become his, he gives me the gift of the Holy Spirit. I have the very presence of God in me. Think about that. Think about it. Okay? Just don't glide through that. God's presence resides in you. So what is he doing? How is he producing the life of Christ in you? We're going to see what happens in Antioch here. I'm just presenting the problem. I'm presenting the need here. One more thing on the Holy Spirit, then we're going to dive into Antioch, and then we're going to make some personal application and go home. All right? One more thing. When we think of the Holy Spirit, there are two extremes. One extreme is this, that the Holy Spirit is this person. If he resides in me, okay, what does he do? Here's one extreme over here, that the Holy Spirit is this person who creates kind of this, this um, superstitious uh, coincidences linked together. I see a little passage from my quiet time, and I see it on a license plate, and so I put it all together, and there's the Holy Spirit working, right? Um, and it's kind of this emotional, um, people are emotional when they're filled with the Spirit. And they get kind of, we, we take charismatics and we, we, we lump them into, oh, those are those types of people because they're really, really emotional. Now, here's the danger. Here's the danger. If there is emotion and there are those types of things going on, but it's not rooted in the Scripture and rooted in connecting with God in prayer, then yeah, those things can be awfully subjective. Be careful, all right? That's one extreme for the Holy Spirit. Here's the other extreme for the Holy Spirit is that, this is from J.D. Greer's book, is that when we think of the Holy Spirit, you read passages like John 16, you've heard about it growing up like I have, you know there's the Spirit out there, you know he does something, but I love Jesus more, <laughs> right? And I know he's got a function, and I know he has a place in my life. And in fact, I can't come to faith in Jesus unless the Holy Spirit is working in my heart and bringing me to him. Maybe if you're not a follower of Christ, what you sense, this understanding of your sin or what you sense of your need and this anxiety and this, what is God doing? It's really the Spirit of God maybe speaking. You cannot come to faith in Christ apart from the Holy Spirit. You cannot receive the gifts to operate in the church without the Holy Spirit. But what we do is we kind of, if this over here is kind of the, watch the license plate go, that's the Holy Spirit over here. This is, the Holy Spirit is in a, in a nice, neat little doctrinal box that we're going to tuck away and we'll open it every now and then. We have to apply it, but then we're going to put them back in. And that's not who the Holy Spirit is. Um, the Holy Spirit is a person who wants to fill the believer 
and capture his heart and his thinking in such a way where the believer comes under the control of the Spirit and begins to walk and act and think like Christ and becomes a vessel through which amazing things happen. So, somehow we gotta, somehow we got to get there. So, somehow we have to understand what the doctrine is, and we have to understand that there is some things that the Holy Spirit does that are incredibly supernatural and can, can sometimes cause us to go, well, some, somehow we've got to find that place that is biblical and sound, but is ready to see him do supernatural things. And this is what happened in the early church. This is what happened in Antioch. And I, I just simply want to go through a couple of things with you. I'm going I'm to give you four things that happened in Antioch, and we're going to come back to these things throughout the next four or five weeks together. All right, this is the framework, but it's all under the Holy Spirit's control and power, and you say, how does the Holy Spirit work in a local church? How does he become transformational? Let me just give you four ways. This is not exhaustive, of course. You can read through the book of Acts and see amazing things the Spirit did, but, but since we're talking about this series, here, let's go through these four things. Number one, number one, embrace God's work in changing the culture around you. Embrace God's work in changing the culture around you. Uh, Acts chapter 11. Follow along with me, all right? Now, verse 19. Now, those who were scattered because of the persecution that arose over Stephen traveled as far as Phoenicia and Cyprus and Antioch. So these people are persecuted. They start running, and they go 300 miles away from Jerusalem, speaking the word to no one except the Jews. So here the Jews are hearing the gospel in Antioch over in, verse, in the next verse. But there were some of them, men of Cyprus and Cyrene, who on coming to Antioch, spoke to the Hellenists, to the Gentiles, also preaching the Lord Jesus. And the hand of the Lord was with them, and a great number who believed turned to the Lord. And the report of this came to the ears of the church in Jerusalem, and they sent Barnabas to Antioch. And when he came and saw the grace of God, let me repeat that. When Barnabas came and saw the grace of God, he was glad, and he exhorted them all to remain faithful to the Lord with steadfast purpose, for he was a good man, but here it is, full of the Holy Spirit and of faith. And a great many people were added to the Lord. Here's the scene that I want you to get, and we'll maybe dive into this a little bit more, hopefully next week. But this church is different because the mothership in Jerusalem is Jewish. It's made up of Jewish believers. The disciples are Jewish. It's a Jewish movement. That's how Christianity started. And Jesus came and said, the gospel's going to the Gentiles too, guys, but it hasn't reached out yet. Oh, it, it scattered abroad. But there was no church. There was no movement. There were no group of people worshiping and praying and, and reaching their city and reaching their community until Antioch. And it was a little bit of a struggle because this Jew-Gentile thing was, was pretty intense. In fact, in Acts chapter 11, when Peter um, goes to a Gentile's house on the coast uh, of the Mediterranean, a place called Joppa, he, a, a, a man named Cornelius comes to faith in Christ. And the, and the Jewish believers there, there's this strain of people who were moralists. They were kind of religionists, but they were still followers of Jesus. But here's what they thought. Can a Gentile really become a follower of Jesus without becoming a Jew first? They really were kind of looking at him and saying, that's not exactly like we've done it. That, that's, not exactly what, that's not exactly how we do church here in Jerusalem. 
In fact, um, they begin to scratch their heads when, when Peter tells them, indeed, the Gentiles have received, received the gospel. And they begin to, you mean to tell me in this place called Antioch, people are, 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 are hearing the gospel and, and becoming uh, unified together and they're worshiping together, Jews and Gentiles at the same time? You mean the Gentiles aren't becoming like the Jews? And they said, Barnabas, Barnabas, head down to, head over to Antioch and find out what's going on. And Barnabas is an encouraging guy, but here's, here's the phrase. He sees the grace of God there, and he is full of the Holy Spirit. This characterizes this leader of the church. This leader comes to Antioch, and he looks at this situation, and it's totally different. This culture is changing. This culture is unique. This culture is not like any other before. They don't have a playbook to go by. And there's a strain that would say, Barnabas, go figure this thing out. Jeff Orge calls it, it was scandalous at the time. You go figure out why the Gentiles think that they can come into our church and we can be together without them being like us. Barnabas, and Barnabas comes in. Here he is. Here's what spirit-filled people do. They embrace change when they see the grace of God working. And here's what we do in our selfishness in the church. You ready? We, we get restrictive, and, and, and we get kind of tight, and we get defensive, and we get guarded, and we, we kind of hold back, and we kind of push back, and, and we're like this. And instead, here's what spirit-filled people do. They embrace the grace of God working. I told the first hour, I told them, wonderful saints, I said, we need to embrace how God is working at Taylor's. So there's a modern service going on. We need, we need to embrace what God is doing there. We, we need to embrace modern service. Those of you in the, in the worship center, we need to embrace new methods and new ways of discipling here at Taylor's First Baptist Church. Because what's at stake is the grace of God working among us. And when the Spirit of God begins to move in a people and the grace of God begins to activate people and there's an energy and a life that is growing there, Spirit-filled leaders and Spirit-filled people come in and they don't say, well, we've never done it that way before or does it fit in this box or does it fit this pattern? Spirit-filled people say where God is working, where the Spirit is leading, that is where we are going. That's my heart for us. This church at Antioch, they didn't know any, any, any better. They, they embraced God's work in changing the culture around them. Secondly, here's what they did. They developed people who will deepen and expand the growth of other believers. Look at verse 25 and 26. So Barnabas went to Tarsus to look for Saul. And when he found him, he brought him to Antioch. And for a whole year, they met with the church and taught a great many people. And in Antioch, the disciples were first called Christians. We're not going to spend long on this, but here's what spirit-filled people do in a transformational church. They not only embrace change, they not only resist criticism and ridicule, and they not only resist any, any sense of of standoffishness from what God is doing. But here's the second thing they do. They develop people. <laughs> they develop people. Churches develop disciples. Churches make disciples. And right from the beginning, the Spirit leads this man named Barnabas who's filled with the Spirit of God, and he goes to, Saul, to Tarsus, and he says, I'm going to find you 
uh, Saul, and I'm going to bring you to this body. Now, God has gifted you. God has equipped you. Now you come and you help build this church so we can make a difference out there. That's what disciples do. Is that what you do? And we're going to talk about, I think in week, uh, in a couple of weeks, we're going to talk about how that the church at Antioch and our church should be a disciple-making machine. It should be a product assembly line of making people who are transformed by the gospel, who in turn do the same to other people. This is right from Jesus in his great commission. Go and make disciples of all people, baptizing them and teaching them everything that I observe so that so that the church can be built up and so that more and more people can know him. But here's what hinders us from making disciples, is that church becomes a place. Here it is. Here, here's what hinders us. Ready? Ready? 46 years old, been in church from day one. Never a time, my parents, followers of Christ. My dad is an amazing conversion story. My mom does as well. Never a time when I haven't been in church. Here's what church can easily become for someone like me who's grown up 46 years in the church. I go to that place and what is in it for me? How can I be entertained? What's the pastor like? Is he charismatic and is he good enough? Does he, what, what's the music like? Does the music entertain me? Does the environment, is the environment, all those questions. And look, all those things, we want to preach well. We, we, we want to lead worship with excellence. We, we, we want to have environment. We want all those things, absolutely. But ultimately, church is not a place for me to be catered to. Church is not a place for me to criticize and Ridicule. Spirit-filled people, don't they? Spirit-filled people come to a church by the grace of God that has saved them and says, how can I give? How can I love? How can I serve? How can I pour into people? How can I pour into students? How can I give my life so people are changed and the world is changed? That's what the church is. That can only happen when the Spirit of God pushes away that spirit of self. Here's the third thing. Spirit-filled people listen and carry out actions that serve others and glorify the Father. Luke 11, verse 27. Now, in those days, prophets came down from Jerusalem to Antioch. There was one named Agabus who stood up and foretold by the Spirit that there would be a great famine over all the world. And this took place in the days of Claudius. So the disciples determined everyone according to his ability to send relief to the brothers living in Judea, and they did so, sending it to the elders by the hand of Barnabas and Saul. Here's the third thing that, that a spirit-filled transformational place does. It listens and it carries out actions that serve others and brings glory to God. Fifty-nine times in the book of Acts, the Spirit shows up. Thirty-six of those times, the Holy Spirit says something to people. Listen. Are you listening to the Holy Spirit? Listen. How do you listen to the Holy Spirit? That's a great question. This prophet stands up and he, and he speaks. That's generally not what happens. It did in this case. Here's how we listen to the Holy Spirit. Right here. Through his word. Are you listening to his word? His, his, the scriptures are not so that we can have a daily quiet time and justify ourselves. The scripture is not so that we can find something just to encourage us for the day. And, and the scriptures do. The scriptures are given to us to feed and to walk with the Spirit within us so that the Holy Spirit within us 
quickens and makes our spirit come alive and that we become more like Christ through his word. You've got to have the scripture and the spirit walking together. J.D. Greer says this, God's word and God's spirit operate together in one powerful dynamic. Pursuing one without the other leads to spiritual ruin, but pursuing one in the other leads to power and life. So here's my question. How do we listen to the Holy Spirit? We listen through his word. We listen to the people of God who we know are walking with God and who are rooted in his word, and we listen to them speak. The problem is not that God doesn't speak to us, though. The problem is that we're not listening. The problem is that we're not receptive. The problem is that, is that our lives have become so patterned. Our lives have become so predictable. Our lives have become so, so driven along a certain lane here that we can't hear what God is saying to us through his word or through his church. So here's my question to you. Are you expecting the spirit to speak? Do you come to church weekly? Do you, do you come to your life group? Do you come to your Bible study? Do you come to the Lord daily? Do, do you come submissive and listening to him so that your life can be shaped and changed to be like Christ. And what's at stake is our homes and our neighborhoods and our communities and our world. I'm just trying to keep the thread going. Here's a video we want to show you. Make one more point, some application, then we're done. I want, to, I want you to see this video. It's by Ed Rambo. Ed's a great guy. Ed will be over at the missions desk right after this because he's involved in something here locally at Taylor's. And I want you to, to, to listen to what he says. And in the first few seconds, he talks about the Holy Spirit. Now, now we didn't tell him, hey, we're preaching, Ed, on the Holy Spirit. Make sure you throw that line in there. We didn't do that. But I want you to listen as he listened. And as now he's making a difference in the lives of people right here next to us at the church. Let's watch this video. My name's Ed Rambo. I've been part of a small men's Bible study group. The Lord and the Holy Spirit was moving in me to the point where I really enjoyed the experience of sharing things with this group of men and learning about new things in scripture and books, but I was ready to do something. And the Holy Spirit moved me to reach out to serve those of uh, economically poor people. And particularly for the fact that we have a sizable public housing development within a mile of our church. And through that, I reached out and uh, became a friend with the Pastor Furman Gatewood, who is the pastor of a small church that's located basically in the middle of this public housing development. We started a Christmas store last year for the first time, and uh, we got folks from his church and a number of uh, individuals and groups here at Taylor's and also at Heritage Bible Church to support it. It was a tremendous success. We had about $9,000 worth of items contributed in total. And the reaction of the people that came was extremely appreciative that they were able to buy and provide, pick out, choose, wrap, and give 
gifts to their children or grandchildren. A lot of them were not involved in any church. So there's kind of two aspects to this. One is the Christmas store itself, which is a great project that a lot of people can be involved in and help. And then there's the longer relationship of establishing sort of personal relations with some of the people that came to the store and partnering with them to see how we can help them and show them God's work in their lives and show them the gospel message. So what is the Holy Spirit asking you to do? Where, where's the needs? M moms, do you realize the moms in your network, there's great needs? Where's the needs in your office? Where's the needs in your neighborhood? We talk about being transformational, but we won't be unless we're listening to the Spirit about the needs that are out there. This is what the Church of Antioch did. Here's the final thing. They, they sent the gospel. They sent people out to take the gospel into dark, lost, unreached places. We'll talk more about this, but um, tonight, I, I want you to come this evening at 6 o'clock. Tonight's a special night because we will highlight for you, you'll hear, hear stories about all of the trips, uh, people who went uh, on mission trips this year. They will speak. That will be the sermon, God's work, God's glory, God's gospel over in Salt Lake City and Prague and India and all these places. You come tonight, it's going to be amazing. But he here's the thing. We want to continually see people go out to the hard, dark, lost places. That includes places like Salt Lake. That includes places like the Middle East and India. It includes places like your cul-de-sac. Now, when it comes to missions and sending people out, we've done something over the last couple of years, and that is we've given people a scholarship, a healthy scholarship. In fact, we paid for half. Two years ago, we, we uh, took in more than we spent and the overage we gave to missions and said take it so people can go last year but with the 150th offering we gave dollars so that every single person that went on a trip could go 50 percent here's our heart that we do it again this year in the spirit of the gospel and in the spirit of antioch and the spirit of generosity we're we're asking our people to give once again an offering november 22 you'll see it on the screen uh we are, we want to send more people this year than we sent last year but it's going to take an awful lot of money to do that to give that 50 percent scholarship now we're still going to go it's just our people won't go with the generosity unless uh unless you give and so November 22nd, we are going to come to you and we're going to ask you to give and every single cent will go to doing what we've done the past two years and that is sending you out on mission to the hard places, to the dark places, to the lost places. November 22. Come tonight as well. It'll be a wonderful time. Now, I want to go through this card and then we're going to be done. There was the need, the neglect of the Holy Spirit. Here's what the church did. What do I do? All right, here's your heart. Here is where you can come in, all right? Everyone take this card. And this comes from Campus Crusade for Christ. We have a couple here at our church, work for Campus Crusade. This comes from them and their ministry. I love it because it's simple, because it teaches me that if I'm going to be like Barnabas and I'm going to be like these people that walk in the Spirit, how do I do that, all right? Now, here's the danger, that this card becomes like a little magic trick to, to who bring the Holy Spirit, right? Um. Th this card is not a magic trick, all right? This is not, 
oh, I didn't do one, so I gotta go quick, do two. All right, take it easy. All right, this card is not a magic trick. This card is just a guide for you to enter and engage in a relationship with the Holy Spirit in a new way. Did you get that? It's not a magic trick. It's a guide, all right? But there's some posts, some guide posts that can help you, all right? How do we walk in the power of the Spirit? I'm going to try and be as practical. I'm a teacher at heart. I just want to teach you, all right? Here we go. First of all, you exhale. What do you exhale? Your sin. You, 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 number one, you agree with God about my sin. That's what the word confession means. It means um, I agree with God about my sin. I agree with God about the way I treated my wife today. It was miserable and wretched. I agree with God about the way that um, I spoke to my, to my colleague at the office. I agree with my pride. I agreed with my arrogance. I agree with the way that I gossiped about so-and-so today. God, I agree with you. It's in here. <sighs> God, I confess. Because the Spirit can't do any work in you unless there's sin. You know what? Here's a result of the Spirit of God working. Not only agreeing with God about your sin, but maybe you need to agree with someone else about that sin. In other words, go to that individual and say to that spouse or say to that son or daughter, or go to that colleague, pull them to the side and say, I just want you to know that what I said and what I did was completely wrong. It was completely out of line you forgive me? That's how you know the Spirit of God is starting to work. You breathe out. You confess. And this is where, this is the hard, hard work of getting alone with God and looking into your heart, looking into your life, and having him do it and say, I confess. I agree. Then secondly, agree with God about his provision for your sin. 1 John 1, 9 says this, if we confess our sin, he is faithful and just to forgive us. Because of Christ's work on the cross, you can find forgiveness. And as you are walking through your mind and your heart on a regular basis, confessing and, and cleansing and saying the same thing and, and going to other people, you're going to experience this incredible forgiveness. And you can be free. Now you're empty. It's kind of like every single morning when I make coffee, I make sure that the coffee pot isn't filled with yesterday's coffee. Imagine how gross that would be. I'd look at the coffee pot, and if there's yesterday's coffee in there, and it's kind of stuff floating in there, and it's kind of lukewarm, I don't go, oh, good, I get to get a brand new cup of coffee. Let's fill it up. What do you do? You take it, and you pour it out, and you clean it. Get a new filter. You clean that filter out. You put the new coffee in. It's clean. You can fill up that cup. So it is with the Holy Spirit. And then on the back side, we in, inhale. We, we, we bring in the Spirit, the command. Number one, Ephesians 5.18. Be filled, don't be drunk with wine. Uh, that, 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 that's crazy. Paul says, don't be drunk with wine. He uses an alcohol ana analogy of people who get drunk because when people get drunk, they just lose control. They lose control of their senses. They don't know what they're saying. They don't know what they're doing. They don't know what they're thinking. They act in a way that they might not normally act. So it is, he says, so be filled with the Spirit. So as you exhale out your sin and, and what's inside the coffee pot. You bring in the Spirit of God. You bring it in. You, you let Him fill you up. The, the best way that I can describe, what does it mean to be filled with the Holy Spirit? I don't know if this is entirely theologically in line with what you've heard, but here is what I sense. When the Holy Spirit controls me, you know what happens? My heart gets soft. 
I, I begin to be shaped by God. I, I begin to quit being defensive. I, be, I don't want to charge ahead. I don't want to get somebody. I don't, I don't feel sorry for myself. And, and, and I, I'm not insecure. I'm not fear. Why? Because the Spirit of God is speaking and working in me, and my heart is being shaped into Christ, whether it's good or whether things are good or whether things are bad. I'm under the Spirit's control. That's the best way I can describe it. You let down your guard and your defense and your hurt and your worry and your anxiety. You set it to the side and you let the Spirit take control. And finally, His promise. Bring in His promise and let Him shape your heart. Bring in the command, rather. Be filled with the Spirit. But then here's the promise. 1 John chapter 5, verses 14 and 15. John says, and this is the confidence that if we ask anything according to his will, he hears us. And if he hears us, if he hears us, that in whatever we ask, we know that we have the request that we have asked of him. And so this isn't a name it and a claim it. This isn't a health and wealth. This isn't, um, I want that, so therefore I name it. God, respond. That's not it at all. John didn't, that's not what John meant. That's not what Jesus meant. Jesus said the same thing. You come and ask the Father in my name, and he will give you what you desire. Here's where the, the sticking point for us, though, is what we desire is under the control of whom? The Spirit. And so suddenly, if we're under his control, sin's out, right? Breathe out. <sighs> Empty the coffee pot out. Breathe in the Spirit. All right, what's there? The work of God in us, and we begin to ask God. God, give me patience today. God, give me endurance today. God, give me boldness today. God, give me, um, give me the ability to share the gospel with my neighbor today. Give me the ability to walk in a way of integrity today. God, I'm discouraged today, and discourage is just overwhelming me. Fear, worry, anxiety. God, but Spirit of God, come. I ask in Jesus' name that you walk with me. Jesus said and John said he will give it to you it's a lot different than health and wealth isn't it and this is how the spirit works and then you give thanks always give thanks for what God has done in you so what's the spirit of God saying to you this morning there's a lot there but my heart and my desire is that we as a body of Christ become so completely under his control that we begin to see supernatural things take place. Fruit inside of us, the character of God inside of us, things outside of us, and all we can say is to God be the glory because his spirit is at work. Will you pray with me right now? Father, we know our time is short. Lord, we know that um, there's always the pressure to move through and get through. And, but Father, will you change lives today by the power of your Holy Spirit? Would you soften hearts and would you bring confession? Would you bring to reality the truth that the Spirit of God does reside in the people of Taylor's and that it's being manifested and seen and evidenced in homes and in marriages and in, in our lives of our kids. And 
that, that, that Holy Spirit, your presence is so near to us that we long for it and we pray for it and that we commit to pray and to fast and to, that Father, all sorts of outworkings of the Spirit that we can't schedule and program, but yet you can work in and work through. Father, would you do it? Not for our sake. Not to say that Taylor's is just some great place that Taylor's is a transformational place for the glory of God. So, Father, hear our prayer. Hear it in Jesus' name. Amen.